Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House. Episode 98 welcomes George Fletcher to Conversations. Originally from Breathitt County, Kentucky, George Fletcher wasn't a member of the starting five for Coach Joe B. Hall. He wasn't the sixth man or a reserve, but he was the next best thing. From 1977 to 1981, George Fletcher was a student manager for the Kentucky Wildcats, and that includes the 1978 National Championship team. There are so many great stories in this episode, including a story about the two players Coach Joe B. Hall left behind, the player that left the program to go duck hunting, and the time when Coach Hall almost put George on a bus from Las Vegas. You will hear about the Goose, the Blur, the Bear, the Twin Towers, and their successors, and of course, Mr. Wildcat. It's a fun look at Kentucky basketball with Oscar and George, and that includes a national championship season and some of the most memorable Wildcats ever and some better rivalries. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House, and Oscar's guest, George Fletcher. George, times have changed since you were undergraduate days at the University of Kentucky. They have changed, Oscar. <laughs> You've got gray hair? I've got none. <laughs> I'm just glad to have hair. <laughs> what What was it like growing up in, in Breathitt County and at a young age? Did you participate in any sports? I did. I was. Uh, I played everything you could play outside, you know, as a kid like we all did back then. And, uh, you know, softball, baseball, basketball. And like anybody else, we loved basketball and part of that was the uk basketball program that drove everything in the mountains as you you as well as anybody know that <laughs> well i know that uh, your father owned a funeral home and uh, y'all were quite popular family in Breathitt county your dad was a coroner he elected. was yeah uh, at what point in time did you start thinking about going to college and were you hopeful that you would be good enough to play big time sports or did you understand early that you might be a step slow? And uh, yeah, there, I, I had no aspirations to play a big-time college athletics. When I was a kid, I was short and fat, and it took me until my junior year of high school to really shoot up four or five inches, and by that point it was a little bit too late. So I tried football, was not very good at it. But So my next best thing of being around the basketball program and uh, – my brother who played, my older brother, was to be a manager. And so I did that all four years and played football as well. So I got to ask you about Pharisee Woods. Oh, yeah. They broke the mold when they made him. Tell me a little bit about what kind of a guy he was to be around and as a role model for young kids. Well, when when I was very young, he was coaching at Breathitt, and he was just legendary. By the time I got to be in school, Jack Stanford was there, who was a good coach in his own right. But following Pharisee, it'd be about following Adolph here because he was such a vibrant personality. And, 
You know, he's always quick-witted, but he could cut, from what I, I know from these older guys' stories, he could cut you in two with his tongue. Oh, he really could. I remember keeping score for the 14th Region Tournament for several years when I first got out of school, and he'd become a good friend of mine. I think, wasn't he a little All-American at Kentucky Wesleyan? Yeah, I think he was, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and the old-timers would tell me that, hey, you haven't seen anybody play ball like Ferris Woods could. And I just never pictured him as being a great player, small as he was. Well, he was short for sure, and I I can't either. But um, I guess by the time he got to Breathitt, he was a little older, and it's hard to picture that. <laughs> now, connect, connect me the dots. Did When you came to Kentucky, did you want to come to Kentucky first, or did you want to be a manager and chose Kentucky because of that? How, how did you arrive here? They kind of went hand in hand uh, pretty much. Uh i tell you how all this happened was I had had in my mind that I wanted to try to be a manager for Kentucky. And we were doing – or Kentucky was doing inter-squad scrimmages going to high schools in those days. So my senior year, they came to Breathitt County for a scrimmage. And uh, so I had it all set up. I thought I'm going to get up the nerve or have Coach Stanford talk to Coach Hall and just get an introduction and I'll try to take it from there. And so, lo and behold, the night we had no heat to speak of in that gym. And I thought, well, I've blown my chance whatsoever of having a chance here. But we spoke to Coach Hall. He said, talk to Dick there, who was Dick Parsons at the time. He said, and Dick will talk to you. And so we talked to him, and he told me that night. He said, write me a letter, and I'll get back with you. And I did, and had I almost applied for it like a job. I had people write recommendation letters for me. And I found out where Coach Parsons' office was in the Coliseum, so – when I came to Lexington, I had a car, thankfully, and I'd just pop in and see him because he, he made the mistake of telling me to come by and see him during these hours, two to three, before practice. And I did that often. I think I harassed him so much. Probably true that it was because he was from Harlan County and I was from Breathitt, and I, I had no connections whatsoever. And I think he just uh, – he never said that or would admit it, but I think he just felt for me. Uh, I was going to bring that up a little bit later in the podcast, but we'll talk about it now. One of the things, one of the great things that has grown with Kentucky basketball over the years has been how much the state of Kentucky from border to border, from Virginia to Arkansas to the Missouri, Ohio, Tennessee, Indiana, Illinois, how they've connected with the team and the program. And most people attribute that to Joe B. Hall first taking the team out in the state to scrimmages like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you got to Kentucky and you started making these trips out, talk a little bit about how that affected you and what you thought of it. Well, I was amazed. I mean, I, I knew how important it was to those of us in the mountains, but until you are sitting on the other side and seeing the, the adulation and the popularity of these players it was amazing for example my freshman year we went to hazard for a scrimmage and my friend rob bolton the manager tells this story about he brings the balls out before the game and this lady says excuse me sonny said are those basketballs that the players uh, have touched and he goes yes ma'am they have and she said can i touch one of them and he takes it over and touches it and it was stuff like that and people i remember going to maysville on a scrimmage one time and uh People would be standing by the road in the cold, waving at the – just wanted to wave at the bus because they couldn't get in to see the game because it was a small gym and so things like that. And, and 
places we would go to Alaska for the shootout and have Kentuckians there, maybe in the military or living there, would Fort invite Richardson. us over for dinner. Oh, yeah. I mean, all over the place. I've actually got a big quilt that some fans had made there on the military base and hung on the wall at yeah. Fort Richardson. Yeah. And when we left, I said, boy, that's really neat. And this says, why don't you just take it home with you? <laughs> Yeah, it, it was it just amazing wherever we went, West Kentucky, East Kentucky, Northern Kentucky, Southern Kentucky. Those scrimmages were really an eye-opener for me, especially when I was a freshman. I remember at a number of them where the people in the community, particularly I guess the women, the mothers in the community, they would always prepare a, a post-game meal. Mm-hmm, yeah. And until you eat home-cooked meal in Kentucky, you've really not eaten. <laughs> oh, yeah, fried chicken and, and all the – the fixings to go along with it. I remember one, it might have been in May, so it was in a basement of a church, and they just put on the spread, as we would say, more food than you could eat, but it was wonderful. And people were just so good to us, and you know, people just clamoring for autographs and just wanted to get near the players because that's closer than most people could ever get, especially if you, if you came to Rupp Arena. And you say, I sort of find that as troubling that they got away from that because the NCAA come in and said, well, if you're going to do that, then you don't get to play two exhibition games at home where they charge yeah. admission. But to me, they were worth so much more because there, there's lots of people that really physically cannot come to Lexington for a game. No. And uh, it, the the Joe fan in them, you know, you can take it really to them. And I think it means a lot for the university as far as attracting students outside of athletics. Oh, gosh, yeah. It just meant so much to people. And, you know, Kay Wood had a lot to do with that in the early years, too. But Coach Hall taking the team out, that was really a big deal. And here's a similar story. It's when we'd travel to Ole Miss and Starkville, Mississippi State, some of those places. It was cheaper for people in western Kentucky to charter a bus to come down and get tickets. It was easier. And so probably about the same amount of drive. And so we would have uh, stands full of people, I guess, until – they caught on and made like Tennessee did and made you start buying two or three games a year before they'd let you have a ticket. <laughs> it seems like from back in your days there, the biggest crowd on the road in the SEC uh, generally would be Vanderbilt or Tennessee if they could get tickets. But back then they were pretty good. And, oh, you yeah. know, but Oxford was a place that, I mean, it was just always half full of Kentucky people. Oh, yeah. And, and there were supposedly, not supposedly, there were uh, a pretty famous ritual that some players had in Oxford, Mississippi at the Holiday Inn. You remember what that was? Melvin Turpin sort of liked something called Mississippi Mud Pie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, when they found a good piece of dessert or any kind of good meal somewhere, they would they'd eat the whole thing if they could. <laughs> also, travel back then was different. You, know, you, you travel on some state planes at one time. At one time, you were traveling on uh, a team plane that was owned by Purdue University, and then there was one plane that I think was in in use in World War II, and it kept changing hands. One year, it had three different names. It was Music City, uh, Music City Airways, and then it was Gulf Air something. And uh, those are fun times from the standpoint that when you got on the plane, there was no air conditioning. The air conditioning... <laughs> is performed when it gets up in the air. They'd have heat, but no air. 
Exactly. I, I remember we flew state planes, the state of Kentucky planes, I guess the, we rented them or whatever they did back then. And uh, they were prop planes, of course, and uh, you know, they weren't jets. And so it just took a lot longer to get back. But hey, I was just glad to be flying in, instead of being on a bus. You know, in high school, you go on a school bus no matter how far it is. So being on a plane was a big deal for me. So you're freshman. In the championship year, where they pretty much go from wire to wire, mm-hmm. uh, did you get to travel any road games, or were you just sort of here? Yeah, not not that year. I was the low man on the totem pole that year, and so uh, uh, you know, as a freshman, just like players, it takes you a while to learn the system, even as a manager. And I had no idea what to expect when I came in here. And I remember the first practice on October fifteenth. Uh, the tone was set for the year pretty much, and uh, I was supposed to be handling a drill of some kind using one of these nets that, that, that threw back the ball for players to practice passes, and I was out of position, whatever, and Joe B. lit me up like I'd never been yelled at before, scared me to death. And so I learned very quickly that that's the tone it was going to be during the year. And, of course, it takes about a year or more to learn that – Hey, I was the manager. He knew he could yell at to get results and get people's attention. Yeah, and you learn how to be hid when you need to be hit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I got to the point, I was so glad to be here. You couldn't have run me off. You couldn't have said anything to me. I was almost like Gomer Pyle, just not, not smiling, <laughs> but just shaking my head and, and taking anything he could uh, dish out if it was going to help him uh, get loose some stress. Do you remember the first time you met Bill Kitely? I don't remember the first time, but uh, there's so many memories of Bill. Uh, we called him Bill, and later on everybody called him Mr. Kitely. But uh, he was not – he didn't have quite the popularity or the the position, the strength of position when we first came here. And I was so glad that as years went on, Bill got to travel, and uh, he later became fully in charge of managers, which he should have been long ago. But so many stories about Bill uh, – um, I remember we went, we'd go to Stokely in Tennessee, and I remember, you know, it was it was such a hard place to play back then. And uh, I remember, I think Bob Dietzel may have been an assistant AD or something down there at the time, and he used to sit behind the bench and just give us hell, I mean, all over the bench. And Bill had had enough one time, and he turned around, and his, you know, how, how red his face got. He got up and pointed at Dietzel and said, I fought in Iwo Jima. Leave me alone. <laughs> and, and then another time, I think Dietzel had been up here maybe as an assistant football coach back in the day. And Bill turned around and pointed to him and his wife, who was giving us heck too, and said, I remember when you lived on Cardinal Lane, which was off Clay's Mill here in Lexington in a little house. And that shut them up. They sat down <laughs> <laughs> after that. Uh, uh Tell me what it was like to be a manager. I'm jumping around here. Uh, your last two years as far as traveling on the road, what were your responsibilities? Well, it was a lot more because there was only one manager that traveled, and we had six total back then. And, of course, Bill was traveling then and Walt McCombs, our trainer. And so we would help each other out, whatever needed to be done, uh, and they were a big help to me. But you handle all the, the bus arrangements not the arrangements were already made but once we got on the road it was my job to see that you know but bus was there and the head count was right and we'd go to the hotels and I would get the keys pass them out and Walt and I would arrange for the meals and make sure people were there those kind of things and I was also in charge of tickets too for for the tickets on the road 
So when you say tickets, like each player gets so many tickets for family? Well, not so much. I think the the whole allotment was maybe 100 tickets at every stop we had. The SEC, I think it was 100, or maybe it was the NCAA. And so if people wanted to go, um, Coach Hall's office would handle that before we left, and we had extras. I was instructed to go out and sell them. And I remember at Ole Miss and Mississippi State's a couple of times when people were clamoring for tickets, I'd ha- have, let's say, 20 tickets or so, 30 or 40 to go out and sell, and I'd go out, you just get mobbed. People throw it, <laughs> trying, trying to throw money at you for the tickets, and that's how badly people wanted to get in back then. The uh, the, the, the art of uh, making sure everything was together on time, did you ever run off and leave anybody by mistake, find out it later? <laughs> Not in my tenure, but there's a, there's a, a story, several stories about Coach Hall telling the bus driver to take off and and, well, that uh, was that was your freshman year. That's seventy seven, seventy eight yeah. in Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah, I was not on that trip, but I sure heard about it when they got the, back. Uh, <laughs> the the Saturday night before that was on a, a Sunday. The Saturday night before they lost to LSU, and Dale Brown made a big to do the fact that they had to go to overtime. All five starters had fouled out. I think Macy missed a shot at the end that would have won it in overtime. Yeah. So we. Uh, Stay overnight in Baton Rouge, fly up to Memphis Sunday morning. We're bussing down uh, to Oxford, get there, and then there's a practice for like 1 o'clock. Leave the bus, leave on the bus, hotel, holiday at 1 o'clock. Everybody's on the bus except Dwayne Casey and LaVon Williams. And looks down, it's maybe two minutes to one. They come out of the, the old Holiday Inn where you walk out of the rooms outside. And they're just sort of happy-go-lucky, you know. Get there and look down to watch. And still one minute till they're about 40 feet away. And Joe says, drive on, driver. He said, well, sir, you got to. Damn it, I said to drive home. They closed the door and pulled out. And Dwayne's sitting there with his look and Freddie with his look. And D.G. Fitzmorris was getting in his car ready to go. Yeah. And DG beat the bus over. So they got <laughs> saved. But the next nine, Joe B made like 28 substitutions in the first time. Won the game, but the message was there. Oh, yeah. So, he knew how to send a message for sure. So in, in, in the 77 78, uh, did, did you make any of the road games as just a fan or? No, I didn't. was not able to travel that year. I probably could have, just didn't know it at the time. So you didn't get to see. The game in Bloomington in December. No, no, maybe. I take that back. If I was, if we were going by bus, which we did, I was travel. I would have traveled some, but I can't remember going on any of those games. What about the games in uh, Louisville, Freedom Hall? Did you get to go? I to did those? get to go to those. Yeah, and those were amazing games. Um, and it was, again, it was just the power of UK popularity and. All these thousands of people would turn out for a shoot-around practice. The day before. The day before the game on Friday. And Coach Hall believed in that kind of stuff and autographs and letting people get close to the players. And I always appreciated that about him, and uh, especially as being a fan. And so thousands of people. And we'd set tables up, folding tables up around the the side of the court, and people would um, would come around and uh, and sign on, and the guy would sign autographs. I remember, the, I think that was the trip where – there's a girl that cut a piece of Roby's hair off with a pair of scissors. <laughs> Scared him to death. <laughs> he was sitting there signing autographs at a folding table, and she came over and cut some of his hair. In the 70s and 80s, if you wanted a cupcake, 
you had to go to a bakery. There were no cupcakes on those November, December schedules when you were here. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, the gosh, the Indianas, the Notre Dames. I mean, maybe one or two early on. But when December rolled around, you remember how tough that schedule was in December. And uh, Let me ask you about three non-conference series that were pretty much in play every year when you were here. Uh, Kentucky, Indiana, Kentucky, Notre Dame, Kentucky, Kansas. Oh, some great memories from those games. I mean, it was all – no matter where we played Indiana, there or here, it was always, you know, a slugfest. And I remember Coach Knight uh, or Coach Hall would always go crazy almost because of the moving screens. He never could get the referees to call them. And Coach Knight would always push the envelope, of course, and it would just drive Coach Hall crazy because, uh, you know, they were – just just moving screens to beat the band, and they just they wouldn't call him much. So every now and then they would throw him a bone, perhaps. But uh, but they were always physical games, as you remember, just always very physical. And Kentucky Kansas was a big intersectional game in December. And your memories of Allen Fieldhouse? Uh, I mean the uh, Allen at Kansas at the uh, arena. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's the loudest place, bar none, that I have ever been. That's the one thing I remember about it. Because I remember on the bench, we went, I think, when I was a junior, I, I, we went out there. And of course, it was cold like it was on the plains. But um, I remember you had to, to literally get in the coach's ear and scream, literally, to get them to hear. It was impossible to uh, hear each other on the bench just, you know, two feet away from each other, and the, they were a lot like our fans. And that's one thing I've always appreciated about Kansas fans and to a certain extent Indiana fans, North Carolina fans, is how much they love their basketball. The Notre Dame game was just a thriller like because of the fans and, and how much they showed up up there. And, um, of course, Digger never liked us then. He never liked us since then. You could tell it on his television uh spots later when he was an analyst and uh, he said some pretty unkind things to coach hall uh after the time i guess it was the dwight anderson year where we came back from seven or eight with a minute or so to go and beat him and he just was devastated he he couldn't hardly shake coach hall's hand as i recall and he had some unkind words uh and uh i'll always remember that but it was fun to beat his beat his ass so the 77-78 season, other than the two losses, LSU and Alabama, they pretty much breezed through everything till you got to the postseason. And then you ran up against a guy who later would uh, become pretty famously known as one of the greatest of all time. You, you went to play in Dayton, and that's a place you played while you were still in high school in 75 yeah. when they upset Bob Knight, Bob Knight the yeah. undefeated team. And you're back up there again. You're having to beat a, a Michigan State team that everybody's scared to death of to get to the Final Four. Well, if you remember, you know that was the the Magic Johnson year, and uh, he was he was just an amazing player. That's uh, no no surprise to anyone. That's how he turned out. And uh, Judd Heathcote was a pretty powerful coach in his day too, and uh, his teams were fighters and played just as hard as, as we did and everybody else. And so uh, lucky to get out of there to uh, get that win and get back home uh, uh, after the two games up there. Uh, there's been a lot said, and you probably wasn't on that trip, as you said. But uh, I think that was probably one of the 
highs of Kentucky fandoms out in the state because they lined up bridges and I-75 from the bridge crossing Ohio River all the way back to Lexington. It's sort of like this is your team, Kentucky. Yeah, and it's hard to explain to people uh, outside of Kentucky or don't know about Kentucky basketball what that's like. And uh, to be a manager like me is just amazing to see those kind of things. And it just it made you feel lucky to be a part of such a thing as that. And you know, people feel like they own this team and this program. And uh, that's back, of course, when people stayed four years and they got to know the players better and, and fell in love with them. So they, they go to St. Louis – you end up beating an Arkansas team that was really, really good. And then you end up beating Duke in the championship. The fourth team there was Notre Dame and Dicker Phelps. And little did you know at the time how those four names would become intertwined in the history of Kentucky basketball for years and years to come. I know, isn't that something? I mean, those those four teams in that Final Four, I mean, we battled with Arkansas after that, always battled Notre Dame. And, and you and, had Eddie Sutton there that uh, come back later. You had yeah. Digger Phelps there. And then you had Duke, which is Duke, which is Duke, which is Duke. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bill Foster was the coach back then. Yes. And, uh, um, and Jim Smarnarkle's on that Spinarkle, team. And Eugene uh, Banks. They sort, of, they sort of – most of the play-by-play announcers that work with Spinarco on CBS, they manage to get that in just about every game. <laughs> yeah, I know it's better than uh, – I'd rather hear that one than the uh, Christian Leitner uh, shot they yeah. rehash all the time. <laughs> so now you're going to be a sophomore. And there's a lot of people say that, that, as Happy Chandler would often say when he thinks you've succeeded, you can go ahead and unpack now in your home. <laughs> yeah. I think that was finally the time when everybody said, Joe B's our coach. I think so. And I, I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but I later learned how much pressure that he felt. And uh, that kind of helped me understand his stress level and how much stress he felt as coach here. I mean, I knew he followed Coach Rupp, but um, you, you just can't appreciate that until you're, you've been here for a few years and realize the magnitude of this program. So as as a sophomore, you're here in '79, and gets to be a, a really tough year because back then you sort of geared up for one big run, and as you say, you had to reload. You lose so many players, and that was really a struggle that year. That also was going to be the reinstatement of the SEC tournament for right. the first time in all oh, 20, 25 years. What do you remember most about that season? And Looking back at it, had Kentucky not won in 78, would Joe B. have been able to withstood the 79 season? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. People were pretty hard on. I never – when I'd go back home or you'd go to the mountains and people, there were, there were the Joe B. criticizers, and I never really understood that because I was loyal. <laughs> but there were people, and you know better than I do, uh, how critical they were of Coach Hall. Nothing was ever good enough. And it's still that way today, but um, I don't know if he would have made it or not. I would like to think he would have, but uh, it was a tough year. I remember, you know, we struggled, and you just you can't replace Roby Lee, Phillips, and Givens. It's just there's just impossible. And so we had a, had some youngsters, and they were learning their way, and uh, it just uh, it was a tough year. I remember that. Uh, you you had basically all the weight was falling on the shoulders of. Junior Kyle Macy, and then you had a kid named Dwight Anderson coming in. Oh my, <clears throat> yeah. 
I, I, Dwight was a, I'll say a unique individually, personally, but I, other than, than uh, maybe one other player, I don't know that I've ever still seen somebody who had his acceleration off of the stop than Dwight Anderson. Um, John Wall, maybe, you know, and, uh, but of course I'm loyal to my times, but Dwight was just an amazing athlete. His game against Notre Dame. Uh, it, it was like a dream almost. He just like he just took over, you know. Of course, I mean, basically Kentucky was beat. Oh yeah, we were beat, you know, ready to. And uh, basically, just uh, handing the ball and said, "Clear everybody out." You know, as Doc Jackson used to say, we were almost ready to put the chairs in the wagon. Church was out, but um, he just basically took over. Of course, Macy was was feeding him. There were a couple of great passes that got him open, and Dwight could stop and start on a dime. And he brought us back, and, and uh, it just was an amazing victory. That's when Digger was so upset <laughs> that we beat him, and we all, we all loved it. <laughs> and I think they were highly ranked that year. Oh, they were. They were expected to come in here and beat us. Of course, you know, Digger never did like the series having to come to Louisville every year, but <clears throat> whoever scheduled that got the best of him on that, and we loved it. So you, you get near the end of the year, and you, you struggle, but – you got the postseason tournament in the conference for the first time in, in a long, long time. And uh, Kentucky actually played very, very well in that tournament. They had to play four games in four days. Uh, yeah. The uh, I think it was the second game, I think I'm right, when they played Alabama and it was like both, both teams scored over 100. Yeah, it's hard for me to remember a lot of those games, but I remember going to the tournament specifically and how kind of uncertain it was, and but excited. And Joe didn't like it. No, he didn't. He didn't want to go, but we didn't have any choice, of course. And But one great thing I remember is people from Kentucky showed up all over the place. There's never any question that Kentucky was going to have more fans than anybody bar none, and they did, and that helped a lot. Yeah, <clears> you, you got to the finals and you played Tennessee – and in that first year, they gave the top two teams a free ticket into the semifinal round. So you were playing four games. Tennessee was playing two. Uh, you lost a tough game at the end. And then you had to turn around and play two nights later. I think Clemson and NIT at home. Oh, yeah. That was that was not a good night. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened. We were tired or whatever. I just remember it was – a. You know, be, getting beat at home was no fun whatsoever. So, you put that season away in the bed, and you got a pretty good class of kids coming in for your junior year. Oh yeah, we did. I mean, if if memory serves me right, you had uh, Bowie and Hord and Hurt, uh, Charles Hurt and Derek Hord and Sam Bowie, Dirk Minifield, Dirk Minifield, Tommy uh, Heights, and Tom Heights. Yeah, and uh, so we were pretty excited, but. Uh, you know, and Sam was another amazing athlete, too. And I mean, all of them were in their own right. I, I don't want to discount any of them because they were all excellent athletes, and we were pretty excited to get them in here. And uh, they come along very, very well. You got the end of the uh, – I think the uh, the end of the year you, you get to play in Rupp Arena. Mm -hmm. uh, you end up going against Duke. Yeah, it, <laughs> um, I, again, I don't remember the specifics of that game. I just remember uh, probably 
to the point where maybe our youth caught up with us a little bit uh, uh, against an experienced team, as I recall well. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to lose at home. Gosh, especially back then. We were so good in Rupp Arena back then. Still are today, but especially back then. Let's talk a little bit about the next year you come back and you're really looking forward. You have a great year in 81. Uh, but the, the, the Sam Bowie saga from – I think he was here, ended up five years, but only played three. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's right. You know, it just broke your heart because Sam, he could run the floor back then. Like a deer. Oh, he, 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 to be so big, he just could take off, you know, in a larger size version of Dwight Anderson. And he could run the floor so well with those, those big long legs and strong legs. And you just, it just broke your heart when he got hurt. It just uh, – But no one dreamed that he was going to be out as long as he ended no, up being out. No, no way. I mean – No one had – I say no one. The casual fan had not heard the term stress fracture before. <laughs> no. Never heard of it back then. And just thought, well, he broke a bone. No. There was just more to it than that. And I, it just never would heal correctly, as you remember. You ended up going 29-6 and six that year. You ended up being fourth in the AP poll, third in the UPI poll. Uh, you lose to Duke. Uh, you come back your senior year in 80, 81. You go 22 and six. You're eighth in both polls. Uh, you're in the tournament and you end up playing UAB, coached by a real close friend of Joe B. Hall's, Gene Bartow. In fact, mm-hmm. Joe B. gave him. Invite him to the UKIT three years earlier when they were just starting a program. And you end up having the unfortunate uh, draw to have to play them in the state of Alabama at Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I do remember that game. It was it was another heartbreak because we thought we were, you know, we're going to get through that and, and beat them down there. And we just – I remember we had an off day or an off night. We just seemed like we couldn't do so many things well. And I remember the bus ride after the game or where we were going. It just – you could have heard a pin drop. It, people were just just shocked, I think, more than anything and, and disappointed that we had lost. Let, let's talk about some of the players on the team. You got to know some people that was on the staff and around the pro. Just tell me what you remember about these people. Chris Gettlefinger. Oh, Chris Geese was his nickname, you know, redheaded guy from Knoxville. And he was uh, just thrilled to be a part of this program. And he came up from Knoxville and, and he got beat on a lot, especially that first year. But he always was tough and came back for more. And I appreciated that about him. Scott Courts. Well, Scott's a unique guy. You know, he they made fun of him like he was, um, you know, out in La La Land. But Scott was a very bright guy, very intelligent. I think he just got caught up that first year. He transferred after his first year. And when you're battling Phillips and Roby and Lee in practice every day, I, I think he just got discouraged. I think if he'd stayed, he would have become a good player. It's really neat that he keeps his roots attach and comes back from time to time for the reunions. Yeah, he's never missed a reunion. We've had about five or six of them. He always comes, and uh, it's always great to see him. Tim Stevens. Oh, God, the stick, they called him. I, you know, Tim had got injured, too, during his career here, and I think that kind of discouraged him. But, uh, you know, Tim, being a southern eastern Kentucky guy, could shoot the lights out, and uh, literally he could shoot the lights out. And 
Great guy. Genuine guy. Dwayne Casey. Dwayne was a rock. I mean, he was always – probably didn't have the talent that so many players did, um, but he was a worker. He would do anything. He was a great leader. And, um, you know, he he came from that um, Western Kentucky um, group of, you know, Haskins, Warford, Casey, and Callan, you know, from uh, from West Kentucky. And great guy. Freddie Cowens. <laughs> Freddie, I, I'll tell a quick story on Fred if we've got time. You know, sure. he, he got discouraged. I don't remember what year it was, but he decided he was going to quit and go home. And um, so – he took off driving. It was to... wintertime, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was during the season. And he took off to West Kentucky, and somehow uh, Dwayne or, or Leonard Hamilton, one of the coaches, said, Joe, Freddie's taken off and gone home. So <laughs> what happened was Joe B got a plane, flew down there, and was sitting on Freddie's front porch when Freddie drove up. <laughs> and so – he tried to make up the story that he'd just going to go rabbit hunting for a few days, but <laughs> but that didn't fly. So he turned. Joe, he talked to him. He turned back around, and drove back home that same night. <laughs> Freddie's a great guy. He's he's awesome. Levon Williams. Levon was uh, uh, a talented way outside of basketball. He got kind of discouraged here, but but he had plenty of success too, and. Um, he he's just talented. He's creative, and he played hard. You know that's one thing I remember about Levon. He did what you asked him to do, and he played hard uh, and could jump too. Chuck Alexinas. Chuck Alexinas. I wish he had stayed too because he was such a big man. I remember when he was a freshman, we used to kind of not joke but admire he his forearms were like oak limbs he was so big and he had these smooth hands which is what I remember and I think he probably got a little discouraged to you know battling those guys and when you were freshman going up against Roby you know Phillips Lee and Givens every day it's you know it's hard to to get encouraged by that but um, he went transferred to Connecticut I think mid-year of his, our sophomore year because he and I came in together with Callan Gettlefinger and in uh, courts. So uh, I hate to see him go. And he's been back to a few reunions. Yeah, I, he missed quite a few early, but he finally started coming yeah. back. And he looks it's great. nice to see him come back. Yeah. yeah, he looks great now. Jay Scheidler. Oh, the kid we used to call him. You know, I, by the time I got here, as, as uh, when he was a sophomore, he'd given up his blonde hair. But uh, you know, he was a great jump shooter, and he got such elevation off of his jump. And could fill it up, uh, kind of like Tim Stevens. Like most in a shooters, way. he like he didn't like confidence in his no, shot. Oh no, he always wanted it. Always wanted to shoot it, and uh, and he made most of them too. And another great shooter, Truman Clater. Oh gosh, yeah, Truman was tough as a pine knot, as we'd say in the mountains. And he was, I remember Truman was such a great defensive player too. But he could shoot so well, and was hard nosed and tough, and. Uh, uh, it's always great to see Truman. He looks great. He's still thin, and he referees basketball games in Toledo, where he's from. And great guy. As we're taping this podcast today, is the birthday of Mike Phillips. Yeah, um, I sure I, I think about Mike all the time. And this last reunion, um, you know, for those of who don't know, Mike passed away a few years ago and in an accident at his home and. So Candy, his wife, and his son Michael came to this last reunion and stepped in for Mike. And 
So it was bittersweet. We were glad they came, but um, uh, Mike was, was had those great hands too. You know, he didn't he he couldn't run like a buoy or a Roby, but but he was such a presence in the inside and was a stabilizing force those years he was here. And he was always sort of gentle, like he he never was boisterous or no. in your face or anything like that. I I, I bet he never trash talked at all. I don't remember him trash talking. I mean, if he did, it was it was very low key, and but he always let his play uh, do the work, and he was always focused. And uh, you know, when we ran that six eight ten offense, he was so good. He had it down so well, he could do it uh, blindfolded. And hell, the field goal percentage record for several years here. I mean, until until uh, Melvin Turpin come along. Yeah, I mean, he had a different version of a jump hook almost, but it wasn't a true jump hook or a jump shot. It was kind of an in-between, and uh, he was just fun to watch. And it was before you came here, but he pretty much put the team on his shoulders in 76 when Rick Roby got hurt and was out for the last 10 or 12 games. Took him to an NIT title when it was still a pretty strong tournament. That's true. I forgot about that. I guess Rick hurt his knee that year, and uh, – uh, and Mike just – and I think that served him well, having to do that. I mean, with Roby in there, he, there were always the two of them. But that year, he, uh, he, he kind of put the team on his back, and I think that really helped him the next two years. James Lee. Gosh, big James. <laughs> I, I, I remember he was so tough. I mean, he didn't say much, but uh, he was such a warrior and such a force to be reckoned with. And uh, – I remember he and Coach Hall got sideways a few times, you know, and James would have to run walls in the Coliseum. That was, you know, up to the top and back. And uh, uh, But James, he hung in there and, and was a great player here. And, uh, you know, even if he didn't start that that 78 year, he, he might as well have been a starter because he was that important. And I mean, what, Was there any one play – that will last in anybody's memory longer than his final dunk against Duke? I don't see how. I mean, he, who else – who could forget that? I mean, it, it talk about an exclamation point on a season and a year. I mean, that was the perfect exclamation point. Kyle Macy. Gosh, Mace. He uh, – talk about a stabilizing force, you know. I, I don't know – that we could have won that 78 year without him being the, the point guard. I mean, he was such a floor general, and that was an overused term a lot, but he had such a, a vision and such eyes for the court, find open people, and and if it was clogged up, he'd clear it out. Those kind of things that a point guard you, you take for granted, but he did it so seemed like so effort, effortlessly. Great guy. Rick Roby. Gosh, Rick, you know, those guys I only had one year, but I just – I was so impressed with their work ethic, and especially Roby. I, he was a true leader that year. And he wasn't going to put up with any nonsense from anybody that year, and uh, the 78 year. He and Jack pretty much took the team and, and led them. Of course, Macy was in that too, but um, – those guys pretty much took the bull by the horns and said, you know, we're not going to be denied this year. And that was the tone the whole year, and they helped set it. Jack Givens. Well, Givens, you know, what else can be said about Jack? You know, he's 41 in the final game. But, you know, uh, Jack will tell you stories about how he struggled too as a freshman and a sophomore and how um, he tells a story about Coach Hall jumping on Kevin Grevy and, 
and Grevy apparently wasn't paying any attention to him, and Jack asked him about it. He said, well, I don't listen to what he says, Jack. I just go out and play. <laughs> and so Jack learned a lesson from that. He was taking all those, those uh, chewing outs by heart. And so I think he learned very quickly that, yeah, you got to listen to your coach, but you know, there's a reason for you to get yelled at. But Jack was truly a clutch player and had that soft jump shot. You know, you can still picture Jack's follow through. You know, the the goose. You know, the goose follow through. When he with, kissed off the glass in that '78 game, you knew he was having a night. Oh man, he just he, he could not be denied that night. It was wonderful to watch. Clarence Tillman. Clarence, you know, he didn't make it long here, and. Um, he had a tough time adjusting coming from the Northeast. You know, some players do and some fit in pretty well, but uh, Clarence never really fit his groove and never was able to, to show what he could do. But, you know, he had plenty of talent, you know, had a great uh, jump shot. Uh, he just had a tough time adjusting, but yeah, I liked Clarence a lot. Chuck Verderber. Verderber, you know, he came in and he was, uh, you know, he wasn't, as athletically inclined and fast as some of those players, but talk about hard-nosed warrior. That's the way I think about Chuck. And uh, such a great guy and, and came from uh, Illinois, small town, and uh, he fit in well here. He liked it. Went to dental school here, and he's been in Vermont ever since. But don't get to see him hardly ever, but I sure would like to. And just a great guy. Dwight Anderson. You know, we talked a little bit about Dwight. He was um, – you know, a, a different personality. He was from uh, Dayton and, and didn't really fit in very well here. I know he would, when we were living in the lodge, he'd be out polishing on his car at midnight, you know, at <laughs> 1 o'clock in the morning. And he played rap music. And I was I lived underneath him. And so I, I could uh, I could sing every word to Rapper's Delight back then <laughs> when it first came out. And that's been a long time ago. But, you know, again, Dwight's athletic skill, I, I remember it so well. I don't know anybody that, that – uh, except the last, you know, few years that had his talent and his acceleration and his smoothness. Smooth is the way I would call him. Tommy Heights. Great guy, Tom Heights. You know, Tom was another one of those guys that was not gifted in so many ways, but he was hard-nosed. And I don't want to talk about the negative of these guys, but, you know, it was obvious. And, and he improved so much when he was here, wanted so well and so hard to succeed here. And he became a pretty daggone good player here. Uh, when he was here because of his work ethic. And, uh, I, and it's I, carried over for him very well in life oh, yeah. after UK. Been very successful in the investment business. And he and I stay in touch some. And he's been trying to get like a, a player's reunion uh, of all players going. And uh, great guy. Charles Hurt. Oh, Charlie Hurt. Uh, I miss him terribly. He, you know, he died from cancer a, a few years ago. I remember – Charlie, before he came in his freshman year, uh, he was working for an equipment dealer in the summer down in Somerset. And uh, so Coach Hamilton, Leonard Hamilton, called me and said, he needs to call, talk to the people at Falcon Cole in Breath County. Can you get him an appointment? And I said, yeah, I'll go up there. And so we went up to see the main boss up there. And he said, you guys want to take a little ride in a helicopter? Well, I'd never been in a helicopter, and Charles hadn't either. But they took us up over the strip job, flying over the strip job, and I told his mom at his visitation, I said, Charles and I took our first helicopter ride together. But Charles, gosh, what a physical specimen. And uh, he was a hard worker, too. And um, I, I appreciate Charles's gifts so much as a player because he, 
he he could run the floor, could jump, you know, just what a specimen. Like you said, a warrior, but if there's one player that I knew all the time <clears throat> over the last 50 years, if I was caught in a foxhole, that's the guy I would want in there with me. Yeah, he retired from the military. And uh, I in, in special <clears throat> units, too. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if he was in special forces, but I, if anybody would have succeeded in it, it would have been Charlie Hurt. Dirk Minifield. Gosh, what a talent, too. I mean, I remember some of those monster dunks that Dirk used to he'd, – he'd go out on the break and, and throw down a dunk, and there's one that's on all the highlight videos that was awesome. But, you know, he grew up here, played for Lafayette, won a state championship with Jock Sutherland, and, and he came in here and, was, you know, could, could shoot, was a good point guard, could handle the ball, and uh, was just tough, you know, a good defensive player, too. He wasn't the tallest in the world, but uh, – Again, was tough. You had to be tough for everybody to play here back then. I think his great dunk against Mississippi State probably came after you left school. It may have, but um, I love watching it still. <laughs> Derek Horde, one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet anywhere, anytime. And he may have been a little too nice back in the day, but he had you know a great shot. He could jump, and uh, you know came from uh, uh, Eastern Tennessee and. Um, uh, just a great human being, and um, um, I was just so glad to see him come here because he was so highly recruited back in the day, and um, he still lives here today. He's a great guy, one of the best. Sam Bowie. I talked a little bit about Sam running the floor, but uh, Sam was a worker too. If he, I don't know how he kept from getting so discouraged with his injuries, but he always kept coming back, always worked hard. You know, the times when he couldn't play on the floor, he'd be working out with Pat Etcheberry, you know, trying to lift weights and get back strong. And uh, I think Etcheberry would tell you how hard he worked trying to get back. Bo Lanner. <clears throat> Bo came up here, transferred when he went to uh, school in Texas. And Bo was a great shooter, you know. I remember one game in Notre Dame, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but Coach Hall put him in and didn't want him to shoot. But he, I guess he decided, well, I've got nothing to lose. And he made about two or three baskets in a short period of time. And um, uh, and and I don't remember the score or anything. I just remember uh, Bo making those shots. And, uh, and he, had he, a, he had a fan it. club that would call him to Joe B's radio show <laughs> pretty regularly, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. And uh, Bo's a good guy from Versailles and, you know, good family. And uh, so, you know. I, and he, I was happy when his son got to walk on yeah. here a few years ago. Father, he son. He sure did. For both of them walk-ons. Yeah. You know, what you and I would have loved to have done in our time. Uh, even. You better believe it, yeah. <laughs> Except they'd have beat me to death back then. <clears throat> Dickie Bill, one of my favorites. Oh, gosh. Great guy. I mean. The spark plug, you know, he was he was so quick, you know, and and uh, but he was fast too to be the size he was, and he you know he ran the floor really well too, and I remember him so well. I didn't I only had him for a year or so, but I I liked Dickie Beal a lot. Jim Meister, another great shooter from Indiana, uh, and uh, uh, people used to all the players used to kid Jim about. Um, him not being a great defensive player, but he tried. <laughs> he tried to work at it. He worked hard at trying to get better in every facet. And uh, but Jim liked to shoot. He loved to shoot. He had one great shot. We thought it would <coughs> turn the game, but wasn't to be. And that was in the '83 regional down in Knoxville. In Knoxville, yeah. 
I remember that. I mean, I was gone then, but I remember watching it. And uh, Tied the game up, sent it in overtime. <clears throat> One of the great games that you ended up on the wrong side. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm sure it was heartbreaking for them. It was for all of us. <laughs> couple special people who are no longer with us. First, Brett Barrett. Yeah, Brett was, was such an intelligent guy. Came here from New York. I remember, uh, you know, he worked hard to fit in here. But, you know, he wanted to be unique, too. I mean, he had such brain power and intelligence. I, I think, you know, Joe B has said this, that, you know, he was almost too smart to be a college basketball player because he analyzed things so well and was so quick-witted. Uh, but he improved so much when he was here, and, you know, he – he was so good around the basket, too, with you know, that flip shot of his that was really good. But uh, he wanted to get out on the floor a little more, but I guess was never able to do it as well. Melvin Turpin. I really respect Melvin and what he did here. You know, he he had a tough time growing up. And, you know, as most people know, didn't start playing basketball until he was probably junior high. And he had some people help him and, and uh, encourage him and uh, – he was as nice as they could be. He'd do anything you asked him to do, worked hard, uh, and became a heck of a player, you know, got drafted in the pros. Um, he just, you know, struggled personally sometimes, and I, I just I hate it that he's gone because uh, Melvin was a, a good person. Bill Kiteley. Oh, Kiteley, I've said this to so many people over the years that outside of my family when I came here in 70, fall of 77, I probably learned more from Bill than about anybody. I mean, just his work ethic and uh, his honesty and his integrity. You know, Bill's not perfect. None of us are. <laughs> um, you know, he, he liked to have a taste of bourbon every now and then. And um, if that's the worst thing you can say about him, then, then he's been a, a good man. But um, it was, Bill had such a personality that you wanted to do well. You wanted to make Bill proud of you as a manager. And you did not want to disappoint Bill, and uh, that's if Bill said you weren't a very good person, everybody assumed you wasn't a very good person. Exactly because no. he didn't speak illy of hardly anyone. No, no, and uh, he um, he would hold his tongue a lot. You have to if you're around this place very long. But uh, uh, but he was opinionated too. He'd tell you what was on his mind, and uh, the coaches listened to him. The players listened to him. He was always a go-between between the players and the coaches. How many players' careers were saved <laughs> by them leaning on his shoulder after a tough day at the ch- workshop? It, it's got to be dozens because Bill would, you know, he he had that big mail carrier arm, that big forearm. He'd, he and even managers too. He'd get up and put your arm around and pull your head down close to. Him. He said, "Buddy, everything's going to be all right. Get up tomorrow and get back over here, and it's going to be all right." <laughs> and you believed him, you know. And uh, and he, he would he could give that experience of being around here forty years to these players who had no idea perhaps what they were getting into, and he would tell them stories about this player and that player. This guy struggled. That guy he became an All American. He was struggling just like you, and and it, it was such a valuable commodity. Doctor B. A. Jackson. <laughs> Doc Jackson. I, he's famous for that saying: "Is if we were up by enough." With a minute or two to go, he'd say, put the chairs in the wagon, church is out. And it was that Western Kentucky humor, and all of us managers have, have quoted that so many times over the years. And he and his wife, you know, became the the house parents at Wildcat Lodge, and uh, they were just delightful people. Walt McCombs. 
Walt was so good to me. We we roomed together on the road, and of course Walt was a trainer, and he was in charge of all meals on the road and those kind of things, and um, just a great guy. He was probably underappreciated uh, a lot, but uh, uh, he was a great trainer and a, a good person. Still is. <laughs> he I don't see him very much, but Walt was uh, was a gem. Bob Crowley. Gosh, Mr. Crowley was, uh, you know, the head of the 101 club at first before Van Florence take, took over, and he was just a solid guy, uh, really respecting him. And um, he he would come around, but he never really interjected himself, uh, didn't want to bother people too much, but he had his job to do and did it very well. Van Florence. Gosh, Van um, is – is legendary around. He was just getting started as president. He was like an assistant. He was typical van running around doing things all the time. But uh, what a tribute to the 101 Club and the program that people like Van Florence have been around. Steve Reardon. <laughs> Mr. Reardon. Oh, let, let me, let me yeah, just put these together. Yeah. Steve Reardon, Bob Wiggins, Emmanuel Thornton. They were the road crew, the road crew. Uh, along with two or three other uh, people that you always saw on the road. As soon as you arrived in town, you got to the hotel. They were either in a restaurant eating, but you knew they were there, and they always had an extra car in case you needed a loaner for it. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, those three guys uh, drove all over the SEC, and they would drive further places too. And no matter when they had to leave, they would be there. And they were always such a big help to me on the road, encouragement, and just always a friendly face, you know, and, and – always positive and upbeat and gosh for those guys to drive as much as they did just to watch you know players and of course Mr. Reardon and, and Bob had made so many games in a row over the years I forgot the numbers but Bob ended up beating Mr. Wiggins in the number of consecutive games and so just great fixtures wonderful to see him on the road. I think one of the years you were here was the one year that Joby brought Harry back on the staff sort of as a consultant Talk a little bit about Harry Lancaster, who was an assistant for almost three decades on the road, then actually an AD. Oh, yeah. Well, for those of us who know the history of Kentucky basketball, it was almost like royalty coming back. You know, you kind of fell on every word that he said. And uh, he wasn't, wasn't saying a lot back then, but Coach Hall really leaned on him uh, when he came in and uh, just it was a it was a – honored to be able to to be around and listen to him and be in his presence you it was kind of like Kay would you know you you would fall over yourself trying to do things for him but they they were humble and really wouldn't wouldn't allow you to do it but Bob Chambers you know Bob came in after coach Parsons left and he's just such a nice man I I'm not sure he knew what he was getting into when he got up here, but uh, he did a great job when he was here and, and did everything he could possibly do uh, to help uh, Coach Hall and Coach Hamilton at the time, and uh, I like him a lot. Joe Dean Jr. Joe was pretty young. He was not when he first got here in '78. Uh, he was not much older than the seniors at that point. And talk about a Mr. Enthusiasm. Uh, he was it, and of course. You know, we all knew him from his dad and string, string, music. string music, you know. And so uh, he could do a pretty good imitation of his dad, too, but uh, hard worker and would do anything. Leonard Hamilton. Leonard was a unique guy, such a recruiter back then. And um, he, he wouldn't get any awards for being 
Mr. Organized, but that was not his function here. And uh, uh, he was a good teacher of the game, knew the game, great recruiter. And uh, it's obvious that so many players he brought in here um, were a reason we had such success during those years. Dickie Parsons. Well, I talked a little bit about how much he meant to me. You know, I played here, uh, coached here for Coach Rupp, and he was he was a stabilizing force. You know, Coach Hall, uh, great coach. He used to to get pretty excited during games, and little we call him Little Coach back then. Um, would would be a stabilizing force. You know, Joe, let's do this, or you want to try that, or you know, they need to get so and so in there, get so and so out. And Coach Hall, I know, really, really appreciated that back in the day when uh, when they worked together so well. Joe B. Hall. Gosh, Coach Hall, I uh, he was legendary when I came here, of course, and uh, a lot of pressure. And it took me a few years to understand how really much pressure he was under. And by the time I came to be a head manager in my junior year, I did everything I could do for him to make it as easy. But uh, – Coach under pressure, uh, stress man, but he knew the game. Great recruiter, knew how to. He knew how to coach. I don't think people gave him enough credit as being the quality of coach over the years that he was, and I always hated that. But you know, he was hard to work for back then. But uh, I'm so glad that he stuck around the program. He deserves every accolade that he's getting now, and um, and I'm glad that uh, he's getting the ones he is. He was. It was an honor to work for him my four years here. Right after you left, Kentucky Louisville finally developed an ongoing series that's still strong today. What were your thoughts leading up to the series, and what is it today? Well, we probably followed Coach Hall a little bit back in the day. He wasn't much in favor of it, and – I guess from his perspective, I understand that because we're such a force all over the state. And um, back then, you know, Louisville didn't have many fans outside of Louisville. And so he didn't want to jeopardize that, and I understood that. But, you know, it's been such a great series, too. And uh, the players, you know, it's not just another game, but, you know, they play hard, but it's not the end of the world if they lose. Um, uh, in basketball, anyway, because um, you know you get them again next year, and uh, I think it's been a great series for the state. Over your four years at Kentucky, what's the toughest penalty you ever saw a player get for screwing up in a practice? Uh, I know <laughs> they ran a lot of walls back then. I'm I'm trying to think if anybody got sent out of the gym. Seems like there were a couple, but uh, now explain what getting walls. Well, we practiced in the Coliseum most of the time back then, <laughs> and um, so uh, if Coach Hall said get a wall or get five walls, that meant you took every step to the top of the Coliseum and back down. And he tried that at Rupp Arena a few times, but <laughs> you know back then you had to go up and then go out in the lobby and then go <laughs> up. And I think Phillips or somebody was uh, was gone like ten or fifteen minutes and couldn't find him because you could hardly <laughs> see to the top. <laughs> So, so those were always a, a pretty good punishment uh, going up and down the walls. But, you know, a chewing out from Coach Hall, you'd just about rather take a wall than uh, getting chewed out. I mean, I, he threatened to send me home from, from Las Vegas on a Greyhound bus one time because – For we, what? <laughs> our luggage was late. We were traveling with a, a whole plane full of people, fans, and I didn't have control of the luggage. 
And it was late. You know, this was at the Las Vegas Hilton, which was huge. I'd never seen such a place like that. And the luggage was late, and Walt was trying to get people taped. We were late for practice. And so he calls, summons me up to the room, and his brother's coming out in the hallway waving his arms, waving and said, George, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. Don't worry. It'll be all right. And Coach Hall didn't have his gear, didn't have his practice. He, he said something to the effect of, uh, if you don't find my luggage, I'm going to send you home on a Greyhound bus. <clears throat> there were a few extra words in there, but I'll, <laughs> I'll spare you that. So, um, so but that was uh, – you, know, you did I, find him some workout clothes. I found it quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I went right outside running around the hotel trying to find the bus. <laughs> Your freshman year here, a huge change for the players of the program and for recruiting. You were in Holmes Hall, and suddenly you had a new home. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, the players had been living in Holmes Hall for years because that was the closest male dorm to the Coliseum. No air conditioning, and it was hot part of the year. And uh, I lived on the fourth floor that year too. But when the Wildcat Lodge opened, it was just like a dream. I mean, everybody had their own room, private room, private bath, long extended beds, high counters, everything for the tall man, higher toilets, for example. And it was awesome. But they only got to to use it for three semesters when the NCAA, in their infinite wisdom, decided uh, that it was too good. So, I think they they <clears> saw <throat> the Saturday Evening Post one month that had an eight page spread on Wildcat Lodge, and they decided that the beds were not typical beds for a typical student because they were made for seven footers. Yeah. They made them auction a lot of that stuff off. Well, actually, uh, you know, everybody had a private bath, and they just put made per- it communal per- permanent permanent locks on the bathrooms yeah. and uh, communal shower and bathrooms. And it was still a nice place. Don't get me wrong, but you had to have roommates. Nobody had a private room, and so uh, the amazing thing yeah. of that is when they held the auction to sell all that stuff, they held it at Commonwealth Stadium underneath the stands, and I think they were eighteen beds that they sold. You remember who won the auction on those 18 no, beds? No, I don't. Who was it? Do you remember? Kentucky State basketball team. <laughs> because they were NAIA, NAIA, they didn't have to use those, but they actually bought them. I know. I remember Alabama had some pretty nice football dorms back then, and we were pretty upset about all that when it got changed But because we were living in it at the time. And, you know, it's like taking our room away, man. <laughs> what was the, either the worst or the funniest uniform malfunction that you and Mr. Kitelis crew faced over the years? Gosh, that's a hard one. Um, Somebody get the wrong set of trunks or? We all, it seems like on the road one time that happened, but Bill was so meticulous about all that. He would pack and double check and triple check. I don't remember anything horrible. Uh, I had an incident like that in high school, but not in college. I, because we carried extras of about everything. What drill was most likely to get two players into a scuffle quicker than anything? Oh, hands down, take the charge drill. Um, if you've never seen it, it's where um, a manager rolls the ball towards from the baseline towards the free throw line. A player on the baseline run and jumps on the ball, dives on it. You can't pick it up. You got to dive on it, and then you pick the ball and you got to make three layups, three layups 
on uh, underneath the basket with two managers with these football blocking dummies beating the crap out of you. And so – I wonder if they even <clears throat> use those dummies anymore. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it was really – it wasn't so much about the players against each other, uh, but it was players against managers because we – and if we didn't hit them hard enough, Coach Hall would step somebody else in there and said, you're not hitting them, hitting them hard enough, beat them harder. And uh, I'd never seen anything like that in my life back then. But uh, it was drills like that where, you know, in the 78 year, people were getting bloody all the time. And it was just kind of a, not an everyday occurrence, but it was not that unusual for somebody to get a bloody nose or a cut or a scratch and, you know, take him off and put somebody else back in. That's the way it was. Funniest thing ever happened to you here? Gosh, there's so many. Um now some of the stories where I got chewed out are funny because uh, <laughs> they weren't they, they weren't funny back then. But um, um, I remember one time this was my junior senior year. Just stories that happened in practice. For example, this is after Sam was playing and he came back, and so Coach Hall never really made jokes in practice much. But this day, he said, "Okay, we're going to run an inbounds play from under the basket, Sam. I want you to cut." over on the opposite side of the basket and grab your foot like you're injured again. And then you're going to throw the ball to the other side. And Melvin was playing defense, Melvin Turpin. And he fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. And and after after whoever it was made the basket, we all just rolled in the floor. And after about three seconds, Melvin got the joke, and we just everybody just rolled in the floor laughing, you know. And so those are few and far between. But um, – because practice was usually pretty serious, but there were always some light times, and uh, we appreciated those as well. What's the most heated rivalry that you witnessed during the time you were here? Gosh, they seemed to change. Indiana was pretty tough uh, because of the, the the relationship with the two coaches, um, and it was always a war. That was one. Kansas was pretty good, but it wasn't the heated rivalry. LSU in the day, you know, was – was pretty daggone heated, and uh, Tennessee probably I'd say in the conference LSU and Tennessee, you know, it was left over from Ray Mears and uh, into the Don DeVoe years, and uh, of course Dale Brown at LSU. There were great games, great games. Best team Kentucky faced during your four years. Hmm. Uh, for some reason, UNLV pops into my head because they were so good that one year. I remember. Uh, Coach Hall had a coaching clinic, I think it was the 78 year, and he invited Jerry Tarkanian in. And you talk about a war practice. It was the most efficient, hard practice ever seen. I think it scared him to death. Uh, and we were able to, to beat them that year, you know. But uh, that I don't know why that sticks into my head because, you know, Reggie Theus and all those players were just so good back then. But there's probably others that I just can't remember. Best player UK lined up against during your four years here? Well, um, I don't know that I can answer that one. Um, you probably have suggestions. If you give me some options, I might uh, pick one. Um, I, I There were so many great ones. I don't know. Uh, um Gosh, um, we had your Louisville team, your Notre Dame teams. 
now I think back when we had the 80 Olympic trials here and some of those players we'd played against were here uh, for the Olympic trials that I was lucky to be a part of. But gosh, you know, Reggie Theus, uh, the Arkansas players, uh, Moncrief, uh, Moncrie- Moncrie- Sidney Moncrief, and um, oh, I can't think of the other guy's name. They were pretty awesome. Magic. Oh, Magic. Gosh. Yeah, who forget him? And uh, he. For reputation and longevity, he would be up there in the top for sure. Even if he wasn't at the time, he was pretty good, but got better later. Who who did you meet to be your best friend during your four years here? Um, one of my fellow managers, probably Rob Bolton. He and I are very close, but I got pretty close to some of the players too. We um, I always. You know, we always tried to do the best we could for the players. Uh, uh, Kitely, you know, just by virtue of spending so much time with him. But we were a different generation. But uh, but Kitely was awesome. Most influential person in your life outside your family? In my days here at UK? Yeah. That's Kitely for sure, just Bill Kitely, because he was such an influence on me. And um, I... If you want to learn how to, to be a hard worker and a good human, you, st- you stick around Bill. <clears throat> Is there any one thing that you learn during your four years here that's carried over into your life every day forward? Um, probably work hard, be honest, and respect everyone. Is is I can't say that I do that all the time, but that was uh, – I learned a lot of that from Kitely, you know, of course from my parents too, but from Kitely just because, you know, he, he he might want to say things sometimes, but he was always, he showed respect to everybody all the time. And uh, uh, and I always appreciate that about him. And he for sure worked hard and he was sure honest. So uh, I've always tried to emulate things like that. Can't say I've always been successful, but I've tried. What do you think about Kentucky basketball today, this particular team? They're interesting. I, I'm glad they're doing so well. You know, uh, we all have mixed emotions about seeing freshmen and the one and done things. But you know, I, at first I was uncertain that you could win a championship with freshmen just because of the level of this competition. But Coach Cal proved you can do it. Uh, I'm glad they're doing well. I think I think it's been like an accelerated learning program every year, but especially this year. And I'm glad to see them doing better now. I, I have high hopes they're going to do well in the tournament and get a, a top seed, uh, but I'm really impressed with how this team has come together in the last month. If you had it to do over your college experience, is there anything you would have done differently? No way. <laughs> I mean, being a part of this program, I, I could not have been luckier. You know, a kid from Breathitt County who dreamt of, of UK basketball, and you know what that's like being from Perry County. Uh, I could not have asked for a better career here. And uh, I went on to law school, and uh, my grades were not the best because I spent so much time uh, working and trying to give it all to the program. But uh, I got in, did well in law school because I learned the work ethic here, and I worked at it just like I'd been taught and like my parents taught me. And so uh, I've been really blessed, and, and I wouldn't change a thing about being a part of this program. If you were speaking to a group of young people tomorrow and oh, let's just say Camelsville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, 7th and 8th graders, what advice would you give them as far as going to college, 
and participating in sports? Uh, as far as participating in sports, uh, there's no replacement for learning how to be a part of a team and to sacrifice and encourage people. It's not all about you know individuals. It learns about being a part of a team. That's one thing uh, I would. And as far as college, yeah, college is great. And if you want to go to college, you should go. There will be a way to go. It opens up. It gets you out of your comfort zone. exposes you to things that you've never seen or heard before, different points of view, different people from all over the country and the world. And then the other thing, probably the third thing I would tell them is get out of your comfort zone. You know, don't if you haven't failed at something yet, you need to, to do more. Get out of your comfort zone and uh, do things that you didn't think you could do before, and uh, you'd be surprised at how much you can do if you just take a chance. When you go three, four, five years, you've not been around a lot of the your college uh, classmates, particularly the team, and you've got a reunion come up. What what do you think about that two to three weeks that this special event coming up? Knowing as you get older that this may be the last time you may be seeing some of them at this particular event. I'll tell you, Oscar, it's the stories. I mean, it's like when you get all these guys together, it's like the stories just come so freely, and everybody knows what you're talking about. It's almost like saying, well, joke number three, and everybody just rolls over on the floor laughing because we were all part of it at the time, and it's the memories that you have that you look forward to, sharing, swapping stories, and, and giving each other a hard time. It's like Time has not changed all that where you joke with each other and kid with each other because especially the players, they were a part of that. But I, in a small way, I was too, and you were around. And it, you just treasure those memories and those stories. You can't take them away. If you're traveling abroad and you met some stranger and he walked up to you and found out you were from the United States and says, what is Kentucky basketball? How would you answer that? Uh, I would say it's the epitome of college athletics in the United States. Uh, It's more important, uh, as important, to Kentuckians uh, all throughout the state. It's unique probably in just about any place in the United States. Yeah, there are some, you know, Indiana, maybe North Carolina, but you got the, the three schools over there. I don't know that there's any state university that commands such attention especially for his basketball program as the University of Kentucky. Many thanks to George Fletcher for taking the time to visit on this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. There were quite a few names that Oscar and George discussed, so here's the rundown on some of those that were a part of previous episodes of Conversations. Episode 3 features Kyle Macy. Episode 9, 10, 11, and 12 features Coach Joby Hall. Episode 17 features Derek Horde. Kenny Walker is episodes 25 and 26. Episode 45 is with Jack Gibbons. Walt McCombs is episode 48 and 49. And for more, take a listen to Oscar with Kenny Walker and Roger Harden, which is episodes 57 and 58. All of Oscar's podcasts can be found at oscarcombs.com or through Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Search for at Wildcat News and subscribe, and each episode will be automatically downloaded to your mobile device. Keeping track of the Cats with Oscar? Follow him on Twitter at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.